This is Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Ashley Thornburg. Coming up in the second half of today's show, we learn about the We Rise event. We as in women empowered. But we are going to start today with big problems and actual easy ways to help. Climate change, national debt, crippling medical debt. Some problems feel so big, it gets overwhelming. Practical Kindness is a multimedia project that breaks down easy ways to help. It comes to us from Brandy Malarkey. The series will explore caretaking people with dementia, and we'll hear from single parents. Today, we start by hearing about the daunting task of running for office for the very first time. The number one reason in my head why I didn't want to run was fear. And I thought, I, I can't... I can't let fear dictate what I feel like is the right direction for the office. And if if fear is the only reason why I'm not running, that's I need to step back and try and experience some personal growth. Cass County State's Attorney Kim Hegvick was sworn in this year. She's the second woman ever to hold the post in North Dakota's most populated county, and she's the first new person on the job in more than two decades. As an attorney, she has 16 years of experience, but she was still hesitant to run for office. A scary undertaking to be so public. It's also just plain complicated. I also didn't know just how difficult it is to run as far as to to get the process started. I had no idea that you have to open a special bank account. And um, there are all these people who specialize in strategy. Even when you find people who know strategy, there's still lots of differing opinions. One knows everything they think. So you could ask one person who is currently elected or has run before, and they will say, what you need to do is buy as many yard signs as possible and put them all over in the location where you're planning to run. And then the next person will say, you know, it's really not a good use of your time or your money yard signs because yard signs don't vote. Do you know what you really need? It's radio ads. And then the next person will say, don't do radio ads because those go out to far more than just the district or the county where you're running. And so that's a waste of your resources. What you really need is digital billboards. It can be enough to make a person's head spin. Kim's hardly alone in feeling overwhelmed. In 2020, Chrisanna Holkup-Peterson hoped to represent District 32 in North Dakota's State House. She learned the hard way that politics get ugly fast. And she was surprised to learn that it isolated her from some of the very people she wanted to represent. I felt like I lost some friends. I lost some people that were advocates that were on the same side of me, like in education. There was people that were teachers that were on the same side. I believe in the same things as them. That was really hard. That was some of the hardest was the people that normally treated me really well. But because I ran as a, a Dem NPL, that means that I'm not a, a good person. Honestly, was the hardest hit for me in my heart. Republican Dina Butcher experienced the same thing in the years since running for Ag Commissioner. It's become so tribalized that you either are on their side or you're out, expelled, in, so to speak, or sidelined. And I, I can't do that anymore. And I think there are a lot of people like me that are just disenamored with the whole two-party system. There's a whole moderate center 
from both Republicans and Democrats, whether you call yourself an independent or disenamored with your party, uh, you're looking for a home and you're what you're doing, what I'm doing is I'm not looking to the Republicans or Democrat candidates. I'm picking out the ones that I can most depend upon to make good choices. It even happened in races that are specifically nonpartisan, like Kim's race. I've talked to a lot of voters, and by far the question I get asked the most is some variation of, are you a Democrat or a Republican? And my answer is always, criminal justice doesn't have a party, but people aren't satisfied with that, that answer. They say, yeah, 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 but what are you really? The demand for partisan politics also factored into Namal Day's run for Fargo School Board, another nonpartisan office. But she also ran into a whole host of other problems the other women did not. Individual came out with a knife on their hand. She's a refugee from South Sudan. And older adults told me to get that flyer off of here. I don't mingle with people like you. In the U.S., she spearheaded efforts to promote literacy and public health. But one thing she's still working toward is minority representation. The fact that I became the first black woman yet to ever been elected, it's shocking at the same time because I feel like history shouldn't begin with me. Representation of a different sort fueled Chrisanna's decision to run. I felt as a parent with a child with special health care needs, there needed to be someone in North Dakota legislature that truly understood what it's like. Wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard and valued, it's very human. We're social animals, and that means we can't do this alone. Everybody says they want to help, but really what they mean is they want to help a little. It is possible. You don't have to donate thousands of dollars or volunteer for weeks at a time to make a difference. These women have lots of ideas of what is actually helpful. Door knocking. Door knocking. Door knock. Dropping yard signs. Sharing the pamphlets on social media making phone calls. You can literally text 50 people. Have a house party for a local candidate or someone running for statewide office even. A lady who is a really good writer was able to write up something really fantastic. I mean, it made me look amazing. Opening your home to a candidate if they are a statewide candidate and traveling so that they do not have to spend money on hotels found out very quickly that campaigning is expensive. So every donation helps. Everything from $25 all the way up to a few thousand dollars, that's huge. A willingness to, to just drive along sometimes, that's, that's wonderful, is having company as you hit the road so somebody can share the driving. Keep checking with the person to see if they need help or a pep talk. Sometimes those pep talks, especially on days when you feel like you're not doing enough or you're clearly losing because you've heard of support that the other candidate is getting, all of those things are meaningful. It's a mentally exhausting process. So sometimes you need those people to just send you the card or the email or the text or call to help you feel like you can keep going. Because let's be real. Just because you're running for office doesn't mean the rest of your life stops, especially for women who have what's called the second shift. Men normally don't deal with this. It is women who seem to carry the burden of housekeeping, the housework that doesn't get done, the gardening that gets neglected. And it's wonderful if friends step up with something like that or just drop off a 
that pan of brownies for whoever is at home. For the women who need to ask for help, their advice is be realistic. One of the pieces of advice that I got early on was you need to establish a small working group, three to five people. And those people you need to meet once a week, every week. And you need to talk through and, and give them assignments. There is nobody I know in my life who could meet once a week, every week, at the same time, and do tasks. For those of you helping, be reliable. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Because it's really hard when you plan, and then at the last minute, people back out and they don't show up. You really find out who your true friends are. If you can't door knock, cook, text, drive, write, babysit, but still want to help, you can always listen. A safe place to vent and or have fun. The candidates are not likely to forget it. That's been probably the most rewarding is just all the friends I got to to meet and the, all the friends I will meet in the future. Despite the expense, the time, the energy, and even concerns for safety, these women are so glad they ran. I had a good experience running. It was, like I always say, you know, the, the good outweighs the bad. And I think that those one, two, three incident, it's not going to take away the all that good. Because uh, even if you lost or not, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's, it's who behind you and who was supporting you. Even Dina, whose victory was moral and not electoral. Something I'm proud of. I did not go negative during the campaign, which is what my uh, advertising people suggested I do. And the person who ran the agency told me that if I had gone negative, I would have won. But I can sleep at night. For more ideas on how to help somebody run for office, you can go to practicalkindness.org. With writing and editing by Ashley Thornburg, I'm Brandy Malarkey. The North Dakota Women's Network has lots of tips for women who want to run for office. The upcoming event, We Rise, is happening for free March 5th and 6th in Bismarck. You can find out more at ndwomen.org, and we are going to learn more about that in the second half of today's show. But first, we learn more about the inspiration for Practical Kindness with Brandy Malarkey. Brandy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Ashley. Where did the idea for practical kindness come from? Um, actually, strangely, it came from social media and the pandemic. Uh, I ended up spending an awful lot more time on social media with the pandemic. A lot of people did. Mm -hmm. And since then, what I've seen over and over is a couple of different things. A lot of people saying, I feel so lonely and isolated. And a lot of people who are having things happen in their lives, and sometimes it's a loss of a job or somebody gets a cancer diagnosis or whatever, and they say, oh, my gosh, this thing is happening. And a bunch of people say, oh, my gosh, let me know if you need anything. And that's where it stops. And I know that I often have trouble knowing what somebody might need that could be helpful. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that it might help both issues if we shared our stories of things that have helped us that we might be able to do for somebody else. Have you always been a problem solver? Well, I know I always get myself in over my head. I'm not sure that's the same thing. <laughs> but I've always been a storyteller. Since when? Well, I used to believe that I wanted to be a writer without actually any idea of what that was. 
quickly learned that you maybe need some skills there and gave it up and then fell into it and have developed skills in the last few years. <laughs> and I've spent the last few years writing articles for magazines and playing with Prairie Public because they're very kind and have let me intrude. And it's a beautiful opportunity to help other people tell their stories because so many people have incredible stories but don't necessarily have an avenue to share it. What does the word kindness mean to Brandy Malarkey? To me, it means helping other people, trying to believe in the best of people. I'm not a naturally kind person. Like if somebody parks illegally in front of the pastry shop, my first thought isn't, oh, they're on their lunch break, they only have 10 minutes, and they're trying to get their dying grandmother her favorite thing, right? It's, oh, that entitled person, how rude of them, I should call the cops. And, you know, so often we're all just trying to get through the day and most people don't have bad intentions, but I get very judgmental. And so part of this project is actually to help train me to be a kinder person, to think a little better and be like, you know, maybe that person is having a hard time. I think you can be kind and still have reactions to events, can't you? Absolutely. But I heard a piece of advice once that was the first thing you think is what you've been conditioned to think. Mm. And the second thing you think is the thing you really think. And I don't know if that's true, but I try to be like, okay, my first really mean thought was probably not true. (laughs) (laughs) And so many people really do want to help other people out. They want to help their friends. They want to help their families. They want to help their communities. They are trying to volunteer. But so often, you know, we do feel isolated and we feel like we don't know what to do, so we don't do anything. Right. Why do you think it stops at the let me know if you need help? It's like you've offered, but not really. (laughs) Well, you have offered. But I think, especially in this area of the country, we are kind of trained to not intrude. Like, Mm -hmm. it's rude to be pushy. And so we've, we've made our offer. And so if that person wants it, they'll get a hold of us. But often the person who's struggling with something doesn't have the bandwidth to get back to the 14 people and say, this is what I need. They often don't even know what they need. They're just trying to get through that next minute. They're putting out fires. Right. And so if the rest of us are like, well, we don't want to intrude because fair enough, sometimes when you are putting out fires, having somebody in the way really does cause more of a problem. So it's not unfounded. But at the same time, you know, if you know somebody spending a lot of time at the hospital saying, hey, I'm going to Target today. Do you need paper towels or toilet paper or toothpaste? Because I'll be there anyway. I mean, it's a specific thing you can offer. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't go out of your way. And they know that even if they say no, that you're thinking about them. And that's never wasted. How did you decide on the topics that you wanted to cover in practical kindness? Because on the surface, running for office doesn't seem like it has a lot to do with caring for someone with dementia or a single mom. The Practical Kindness Project, like the main part of the project, actually Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with either of them. The main part of the project is simple story sharing from everyday people about things that have been done for them that mattered or helped them or made a difference or made them feel good. We have a website to back up those stories because most of those stories are by video and will be shared on social media. We're using going to start with TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. We have the website to back that up and be a foundation, and so we have lists of things, like here's things that you can do around the house for somebody. If you want to make a meal for somebody, here's some things to think about. You see a lot of things come across where it's like five things you can do for somebody who's suffering from dementia. 
for example. And if you don't know somebody who's suffering from dementia, you kind of blow past that because it doesn't occur to you that some of those things might help someone else that you know. Mm. You know, all of us are really busy. We don't have time to just wander down rabbit holes. But I thought it would be interesting to show that here's some things you can do for anybody. Everybody needs to eat, right? If they have a place that they live, they you can do household things. It doesn't matter what's going on in their lives. Also, you can do things that are specific to you and specific to what they're doing. So we deliberately chose them because they don't seem like they have anything to do with each other. If you are running for office, you know that you need a lot of help. You're told you should ask for a lot of help. And you might need somebody to edit a speech. If you are caring for someone with dementia and your life is revolving around that, you might need somebody to just stop by the pharmacy on your way home and pick up drugs for you, your medications. You know, if you have your single parent and, you know, you're doing everything on your own, having somebody help out with math homework might be a thing. What I wanted to do is, like, the more ideas we have, it's that more tools in the toolbox thing. The more ideas you have, the more likely it is for you to come up with something to help somebody in whatever situation they're going through that's within your abilities. Brandy, is there a difference between being nice and being kind? We talk about the whole idea of Minnesota nice and North Dakota nice. And some people, what that means is passive aggressive. And for some people, what that means is is that you really are trying not to upset the other person. It really has a good intent behind it. But often what that means is a little bit of a distance. And I think that kindness is all about connection. If your goal is to not create a situation or upset somebody, that's not the same as, hey, can I help you? And even if what you're trying to do to help goes awry and it wasn't a good thing and it's healthy rather than helpful, you know, at (laughs) least you know that person knows that you were thinking about them, that you cared about them, that you really wanted to help them. Hmm. Whereas... You know, it's, it, for me, kindness is more of an action, and niceness is more of a descriptive term. Give us an example of some kindnesses in your life. Oh, there's been so many. That's part of the reason that I wanted to do this is because I have been so lucky to be surrounded by incredibly generous people that do things both for me and for other people. As it is story collecting, I, of course, did one as well. You can't ask other people to do things that you won't. So the story that I shared for my video was when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, I was the one who went with him to a lot of his doctor's appointments. And several of my girlfriends, because none of us had a great deal of money, chipped in to purchase me an e-reader because I read when I'm stressed and they knew I would have a lot of time waiting in waiting rooms, hospitals, doctor's appointments, through treatments. And it was brilliant. I mean, I kept it in my purse. So as long as I had my car keys, I had my Kindle. So I always had it with me. And every time I took it out, I thought of my friends that cared enough about me to do that. Mm -hmm. And there's so many stories in my life of things like that. And I think so many other people have stories too. And I think a lot of them are things that we think are so small and insignificant And so it doesn't necessarily occur to us to offer them to the people in our lives that might be struggling. And I think it's those small things that make the biggest difference. Isn't there a great quote? I I believe it's by Maya Angelou that we won't remember the things people do, but we'll remember how they make us feel. Yeah, I love that quote. She's an incredible woman. 
a lot of times when we call something small, we tend to think of that as being insignificant. And mm. I think the real power is in those small things. It's more sustainable. And it's a buildup. It's like more like putting multiple bricks into the wall rather than just pouring one out of concrete, right? <laughs> I mean, and then you can have bricks from different people. I think it's a misconception that what you have to do has to be big to be meaningful. Yeah. Or that you have to sort of empty and, and give everything. Exactly. And that's the other thing is, you know, so many people think doing something kind for someone else needs to be hard instead of thinking, well, what are my skill sets or what's easy for me that I can offer? So like if I cook all the time, making a double batch of something is really easy. I don't go out of my own way and it might help somebody. Whereas somebody else, my husband, for example, he has a lot of mechanical knowledge. His dad's Mm -hmm. a mechanic and he fixes all of our cars. Well, he doesn't have the time and bandwidth to fix all of our friends' cars, but our friends who don't understand cars, if they have to take their car in, they know they can have him be the one to talk to the mechanic and translate for them what's going on so that they know because yeah. they don't understand. And it's like, what can, what do you do? I mean, what is it that you're good at or that's easy for you? Start there. Hmm. It doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to like be a <laughs> martyr. You can do something that feels stupid and it can have a great effect. And that's the fun thing. And so all of these stories that we're collecting and hoping to share are things that really mattered to the people who are sharing about them. How can people participate? Well, right now I'm kind of going around with my phone and my snazzy new little tiny microphone that I bought to go with it and having a lovely time. People can take their own videos and send them in. I assume that if I get one in an email with your name on it, that it's a receipt that I have permission to use (laughs) it. And I do have a few other people going around the community also taking videos as well. What's the best email to send that to? So it's practicalkindnessproject at gmail.com. Practical kindness was already taken, rudely. (laughs) And I will be the one who answers that email and gets them that way. Or if you want to contact me and say, hey, would you be willing to stop by? Because, you know, right now I'm trying to also hit places where there's a lot of people together. So Mm -hmm. if you have a senior center, for example, or, you know, something where multiple people will be there and willing to participate, I'm happy to come. This is It's such a mood booster to go someplace and have 10 people tell you about something nice someone did for someone. And again, I just use that (laughs) word nice when I meant kind, but we do use them interchangeably even though I see them differently. Yeah. Well, you mentioned just multiple ways that people can connect and including you going to them. And I'm thinking of the, the podcast part of the Practical Kindness Project and you going and meeting these people where they're at and the stories from running from office to dementia and memory care to single parents. And these people opened up to you on a really uh, profound and vulnerable level. What do you think it is that people want to open up? I think that so many people really do want to share their stories and things that are important to them. It is a way of connecting and sharing and validating Mm -hmm. what they're going through. You know, when I had this idea and I came to Prairie Public with it as a, here's this cute little three-part podcast, one on each different thing, just talking about fun ways you can help somebody. And we ended up with these amazing stories from people. When you look at all of those stories, I think part of the reasons that it was a surprise is because it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with necessarily this project. It has to do with people 
sharing so deeply not only what they're going through, but the people who are going through it with them. At heart, the idea is really simple. It's small stories from everyday people around our community. I'm hitting up everyone from my dentist to my bank teller, sharing and watching them and getting to know our neighbors a little more. And if the only thing that happens with it is we get to see those stories, great. And if it does give us ideas to reach out to our neighbor or our friend or our person at the bank, also great. That's a bonus, right? If we can share ideas and build connections in the people of our lives and build a stronger community with them, that is brilliant. But worst case scenario, we're still just getting to see little bits of magic. And that is perfect, just as it is. Brandy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ashley. That was Brandy Malarkey about practical kindness. You can learn more at practicalkindness.org. Still to come on Main Street, we learn more about women who want to run for office for the very first time. Support for Pray Public is provided by Basin Electric Power Cooperative. Headquartered in Bismarck, a Touchstone Energy Cooperative. Producing reliable electricity for 141 member rural electric systems in nine states. This is Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Ashley Thornburg, and today we are focusing on big problems that can have simple solutions and giving people easy ways to help. We learned about some of the challenges women who are running for office are facing, and we are going to learn now about the event We Rise, which is coming up for free March 5th and 6th in Bismarck, and you can find out more at ndwomen.com. We are going to visit now with Amy Ingersoll. She is the chair of the board of directors for the North Dakota Women's Network and Kayla Schmidt, the interim executive director. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. What is the We Rise event? Sure. The We Rise event is Women Empowered. And North Dakota Women's Network has done this program um, as as one of our capstone um, events. It is designed to empower women, uh, demystify the legislative process, um, and and encourage more uh, political participation from women across the state. A word like demystify the mm-hmm. legislative process. What do you mean by that? Sure. So sometimes it seems um, for folks that uh, getting involved legislatively, getting involved politically, it seems like a, a sort of a, a, a big endeavor. It's it's kind of an undertaking. Um, and when people think about the legislative process, you know, bills, testimony, hearings, um, it can be it can be a little overwhelming. And a lot of times we don't even know where to begin, starting with who to contact. So this um, this event seeks to do just that, to, mm-hmm. to explain all of those things for everybody. 
Kayla, you have had your fingers in a lot of pies from working in humanities and the arts and being a longtime writer and working with Feminist First Fridays and organizing events that uh, help get people access to menstrual hygiene products. What interested you in the Women's Network? Uh, I think ever since, you know, I've been trying to become more engaged in my community, you're kind of looking for, well, how do I do that? How do I go about this? How do I find other folks who have the same ideas as as myself? Uh, and definitely a big part of that was all the different programming that the Women's Network provides. So things like Feminist First Friday, uh, which are just kind of general gatherings on the first Friday of every month, they happen across the state and you kind of just talk about what you want to talk about. Uh, and for myself too, I have been a participant of We Rise when I was starting to think like, mm. I know I want to make change, but how does that even go <laughs> about? Uh, and so it's incredibly helpful to have this group that can surround you. Uh, they bring in folks who have been legislators themselves, people who have worked on different campaigns to other folks who – I've seen Girl Scouts there. So mm -hmm. folks from all kinds of backgrounds. Right. And so you just really feel like you're part of something <laughs> bigger, all working towards something together. Yeah, the website says from Girl Scouts to badass grandmas. <laughs> <laughs> Kayla, walk us through your experience going from the, okay, maybe we all know I'm just a bill sitting on Capitol Hill from Schoolhouse Rock to how <laughs> policy is actually uh, affected and implanted um, across the state. Uh, what was your experience learning about the legislative process? I mean, I'm glad you brought up Schoolhouse Rock because I, I think that's generally where we all start, and I definitely bring that up in conversation. Uh, I'm going to have that in, in my head all day now. I, yeah, I do. They actually have a pamphlet up at the Capitol that is remarkably similar. There might be some copyright things there. But, uh, you know, I grew up in North Dakota, a fourth grade we took the bus to the Capitol. They gave you the tour. We kind of have a sense that there's this building in the middle of the state where a lot of big things happen. Uh, and so even for myself, like understanding that this is important and sharing on social media, like make sure you contact your senator, make sure you reach out to your representatives, but not necessarily understanding like what does that look like. Uh, I had the opportunity last session to actually work in the House Minority Office, which gave me a little bit more insight into the behind the scenes. And it is it, it's almost like, you know, a NBC sitcom or something. Um, <laughs> I, I had to watch a beep after and I was like, OK, yeah, this is definitely something that uh, it's it's. There's an entertainment factor, but there's also then the sense of decorum. And then mm. also we have to follow these processes. So it can get very tangled up. Everybody's trying to live their lives day to day, you know, go to work. How do you find time to reach out and decide what bills will actually impact you in your day to day life? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, again, now taking on this role as the interim director for the Women's Network and being able to provide testimony and sit in committee hearings and see it all over again from so many different perspectives has really helped me. And I think the more people that are aware of all of these levels of engagement that it takes to keep our state up and running, yeah. uh, the better we are. It's really fascinating. Like we've had we've had participants, like fr literally from girls, from little kids, yeah. to um, women and their families, women want, women wanting to go shake up their communities, business women, um, yeah, all the way up to to, re to retired folks. It's Do really they need to have an interest in 
holding office or writing legislation to attend an event like We Rise? Absolutely not. Mm-mm. Nope. This is just for people to to find out what actually goes on up there and, and find out how these things ultimately come down to, to impact you. Is the Women's Network a nonpartisan group? Yes, we are nonpartisan. So we have we have all the perspectives being represented. How do you, because I notice on the website you're talking about things like LBGTQ and equality and, and health care in specifics. How do you address that and while staying nonpartisan? Because that certainly is an issue that is uh, tackled very differently depending on which side of the political spectrum that you're on. We absolutely try and pull people from different perspectives so that we can come at a topic um, from a number of directions to really understand it. Um, people are their own experts in their lives, so they determine what, what's going to impact them, what's important to them. Um, but part of our work is to educate people. That's Amy Ingersoll. She is chair of the board of directors of the North Dakota Women's Network. We are also talking today with Kayla Schmidt. She is the interim executive director of the North Dakota Women's Network. There is an event coming up March 5th and 6th in Bismarck called We Rise, We as in Women Empowered. You can find out more at ndwomen.org. I want to talk more about what we heard in the first half of Main Street today and this episode of Practical Kindness talking about women running for office for the first time. And you heard throughout the piece them talk about fear and busyness as two major reasons why they didn't want to run for office. If you could both comment on how you approach those two barriers. And Kayla, you can go ahead and start. Fear and busyness. Yes, I think that could sum up uh, any day of the week uh, <laughs> pretty well. Uh, I think for myself, too, you know, growing up North Dakota and we keep things to ourselves. You know, I had um, a group in a house full of, of women. My uh, mom had two sisters, six granddaughters. Like, my grandpa and my dad were really outnumbered. And so we kind of would have these conversations to the side about all kinds of the real lived experience, whether it's, well, look who's doing the dishes or, you know, just Mm. going through changes growing up. And um, I think eventually I decided like this conversation is good enough for the entire room to hear. Uh, And I think that really comes into play too when it comes to just Trying to overcome that because you know things have to change. Uh, when we're looking at these different bills, especially this year, policy needs to come from people who are experiencing things. So the Women's Network, we've been working a lot with the uh, tampon tax, HB 1282, and just saying this is something that impacts families across the state. Uh, there's period poverty. People don't have access to products, You know, whereas this might have been something that I was kind of taught growing up we we don't bring into all discussion, but in the reality is there's so many people who would benefit from something like this. And so personally, like fear is something that still happens when you get in front of the committee and you and you have to talk about some of these things that were traditionally very taboo. But knowing the day-to-day busy stuff, it's all political. In the end, there's going to be some policy that impacts everybody. And so kind of have to put those 
things aside and just try to push through. And it's not going to be easy, but a lot of the events that we work on, it's giving people a place to kind of practice that, work that out, try to work on their messaging and and what works, what they're willing to share, what could become a a group initiative, uh, maybe start at a local level, bring it up higher. Fear and busyness. So most women can identify with this. Um, We still largely take on the majority of the caregiving work, um, the mental labor, the household work. And in addition to that, most of us are now working full-time in in paid positions. So, um, yeah, busyness. Uh, So it sometimes seems like an overwhelming step to get get involved, to decide to run for office. Um, It's important to have um, support, uh, people who are going to be helping you out. Um, And when we offer events such as um, Ready to Run, we we address all those topics. Fear is legitimate in North Dakota, and I have to say in the last um, several years, um, fear has become more commonplace than it has before. It's important to talk about it. It's important to address it, um, and we encourage women to do that. We're we're doing a disservice if we're keeping our fears to ourselves and not talking about them and garnering the encouragement and the support to, to address the issues and advocate for ourselves. Kayla, how do you tailor the message of what the Women's Network does when you're working with Girl Scouts versus those grandmas you mentioned? Uh, I will say it is uh, a fun challenge, uh, especially when a lot of messaging, you know, what works on social media, what works in, in print message. Of course, we're trying to reach people at different age levels. Uh, so we really try to focus on kind of these, again, our our core values, leadership, opportunity, equality. Uh, these are kind of enduring visions that might mean something a little bit different to different generations, but they're all something we still aspire to. Uh, we also do some really cool work uh, with the Youth Action Council and the Women's Network. And so this was kind of an initiative that was brought to us by a young person. And she said, I really want kids my age to start working towards something. Um, And so she's been able to build up some interesting projects and really get folks from that generation engaged. And they're so much better at messaging very quickly and hmm. and uh, taking it into their own hands and being creative in a special way. So uh, certainly when we reach out to say, hey, do you guys want to participate? I've had some groups say, we're ready to pass the baton and let somebody else stand up and speak. And then it's kind of all about saying, oh, well, we still want you there. Your perspective is necessary. All the way down to asking some people to speak who may be like, I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I I haven't done this before. And saying this is your opportunity to get some experience. Mm-hmm. So uh, for sure it, it can be a, a task. But I think that's the cool part about it is there's so many ways to get people engaged. Uh, and that's why we need this entire network is we need all these different perspectives. When we speak to students and Girl Scouts, the messaging is is largely, you know, hey, you have an opinion, you have a voice, and your your opinion and your voice is important. And so let's encourage you to use that. When we talk to um, our older supporters, unfortunately, there's some issues that, that we're addressing that 
should be done. The work should be over. However, it's mm-hmm. not. Um, and or uh, we, we might be taking a couple slides backwards. And so that um, that historical information, that vision, those experiences are paramount to the work that we still have to do here. Amy, Kayla mentioned watching uh, HB 1282, the tampon tax. What else are you watching? What else is the Women's Network watching out of this legislative session? Sure. We, um, you know, we, we're looking at paid family leave. Um, obviously, we have our eyes on reproductive rights um, in the sense that we, you know, we believe everybody is entitled to health care, and we believe that professionals and their patients should be the ones deciding that. Um, we still support equality in pay, equality in access to employment. These are issues that matter for everybody. So, you know, one big thing that's that's happening on the Capitol is a lot of discussion regarding um, child care and child care assistance. Um, these, these all are things that impact women and families and communities. So, um, there's a lot of things that we have our eye on. This, I, I say it every two years that, boy, this session's busy, but <laughs> it, it really is. This session is busy. Yeah. Kayla, the North Dakota Women's Network was named as one of the 50 period heroes in the states. What is a period hero? So this kind of took shape after, again, uh, our Youth Action Council started putting together these period packs. Uh, And so they're essentially like a a pencil case, a little zippered bag. Uh, They put together a drive and then assemble these packs. So there's a variety of of different um, menstrual products. So you have pads, tampons occasionally. Um, I know around when COVID was big, there was a lot of hand sanitizer things, so people could donate a lot of that. Uh, So we assemble these packs with a little bit of information regarding the Youth Action Council, some instructions in case people haven't had the opportunity to learn how to use some of these products, as well as information about the tampon tax. And then they're distributed throughout communities. And uh, just through this work, uh, the Women's Network was given this wonderful title as well as a large donation of pads. So we are continuing to kind of fortify our system. Um, This is, again, kind of a a small operation with big impact. And so Mm -hmm. we've recently gotten a lot of messages regarding different schools, Mm -hmm. um, health providers, rural areas who just are in need of products. We know that um, inflation is a huge issue, access in itself. Uh, And so it's, we've, we've got uh, these pads, we have some packs that we're, we're um, sitting on. And so now it's about distribution. And so it's next step is how do we make a system that makes it easier to get these where they're most needed? It's 2023. And even with inflation, America is a very rich country who still doesn't have easy access to these kinds of hygiene products in the state. It's actually pretty surprising how, you know, we're talking about working families. Uh, inflation is for all kinds of items. You have rent, you have food, you have child care. Uh, a lot of different studies have shown that if it comes down to buying groceries or mm-hmm. menstrual products, most people will choose to feed their family. 
which is a choice you have to make in the moment, but could lead to, you know, maybe you'll miss school. Maybe a child will be missing work. Um, maybe it's a situation where there's a child at school who really hasn't, you know, had the opportunity to have that discussion about what a period is and they aren't prepared and the school doesn't have any kind of products available to them. It can be a really stressful thing and, again, not something that people are talking about, which is why maybe we don't hear about it so much. But um, just even between, you know, there's been some supply issues and uh, it it all kind of comes together and it's it's a big kind of complicated problem. And so just the simple – we've all been in that situation in the stall where somebody might ask you, do you have a tampon? And so you pull mm. one out of your backpack and we're just doing that on a larger scale essentially. Mm. Amy, Kayla is the interim executive director. You are in the process of hiring for anybody who might be interested. What is the board of directors looking for uh, in terms of where do you want the North Dakota Women's Network to go? Sure. So we, you know, our values are still leadership, opportunity, and equality. So we want to encourage women's leadership and political participation um, in, in all facets um, whether it's just emailing their elected representative to running for, for office. Um, opportunity, um, and that means just working to eliminate some of those barriers to economic and educational opportunities, and equality. So we're still look, looking for equality um, with the sense of advocacy in economic fairness and in civil rights. So um, we're looking for somebody who, who shares those values and who is as much – a go-getter as dear Kayla because she has um, she has her hands in ho- all the cookie pots. <laughs> so we need somebody who's going to do that and who's going to be, um, you know, willing to get up to the Capitol and do some testifying and help with some of the events and the programming and the and the messaging and the education across the state and working with partners. That's Amy Ingersoll, who chairs the board of directors for the North Dakota Women's Network. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. And we've also been visiting with Kayla Schmidt, the Interim Executive Director of the North Dakota Women's Network. Thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks for chatting. The We Rise event is coming up March 5th and 6th in Bismarck, and you can find out more at ndwomen.org. Dakota Datebook is next. Support for this program is provided by North Dakota Horizons, North Dakota's state magazine. Showcasing North Dakota's quality of place, its abundant resources, and people. Learn more on Facebook and at ndhorizons.com. This is Dakota Datebook for March 1st. Four women have served on the North Dakota Supreme Court. The first was Beryl Levine, appointed by Governor George Sinner in 1985. Voters later elected and re-elected Levine to the court. She served 11 years on the court and retired on this date in 1996. She is remembered for her passion for equality and fairness. In a divorce appeal in 1985, Levine criticized the lower court for not treating a wife's working contributions the same as her husband's. She wrote, While a husband and wife may often themselves decide that the working wife bear the brunt of the responsibilities of managing home and children, thereby, in fact, fulfilling two jobs, home and work, the law should not, and indeed does not, impose any such duties on either working spouse. 
In another divorce case in 1995, Levine stated, It is a plain fact that women are more likely than men to be economically disadvantaged by divorce. She wrote, The reality of gender-based bias, discrimination, and detriment is not pretty, and we cannot make it go away merely by calling it a stereotyped assumption and closing our eyes to it under the guise of blind justice. In another case from 1994, Levine highlighted the gender pay disparity of a divorcing couple and the difficulty for the wife to maintain her standard of living after the divorce. Levine wrote, Our modern view of marriage is that it is a partnership, with each party making valuable contributions to the enterprise. The common law duty of the husband to support the wife has been supplanted by the mutual duty of the husband and wife to support each other. Levine befriended the late U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg after the two attended a judicial conference in Colorado. In 1996, Ginsburg cited Levine in an opinion that struck down a military school's male-only admission policy. Ginsburg sent Levine an advance copy of the opinion with a note to turn immediately to footnote 20, which quoted Levine. Beryl Levine died in 2022 at the age of 86. The state Supreme Court dedicated a conference room in her honor later that year. Today's Dakota Date Book was written by Jack Dura. I'm Errol Pepcorn. Dakota Date Book is produced in cooperation with the State Historical Society of North Dakota, with funding by Humanities North Dakota, North Dakota's largest lifelong learning community. That's it for this edition of Main Street. Thanks so much for listening, and tune in tomorrow for more real stories from this region.